Give someone that wants to work hard a chance and they will give you everything they've got, right? So that's really the spark going way back. Because the time that I got didn't fit the crime that I did. Not to minimize what I did, because what I did, I feel was horrific. I take full responsibility and accountability for what I did. I did it, and I'm okay with that. But I feel that if we're living in America, we should be given a fair chance and a fair opportunity once we change. And that's what we've been fighting for, is opportunity. To showcase whatever it is that we have, because there's so many talents and so many gifts inside of us in these communities, in these disenfranchised communities. So that is success. It's way more than a haircut. Not to say they're not gonna give you a great haircut, but that's not what you're gonna walk out here and tell your friends about. You're gonna walk out and be like, oh my gosh, that guy Steven was incredible. I can't believe he ever has done anything wrong. He couldn't be any nicer. This is the Proco 360 podcast for people who love Colorado and love hearing from Colorado's most inventive and successful entrepreneurs. I'm Dave Tabor, and this is a special episode with a live audience. That's your cue, live audience. There you go. Thank you. Yes, with a live audience at the grand opening of R&R Head Labs in Denver. R&R's tagline is, we believe in the power of second chances. The company's mission is to redefine the narrative surrounding the journey to personal growth by providing a platform for formerly incarcerated individuals through the artistry of barbering. I'll be talking with Jamie Repenning, CEO, and Charles Smith, a member of the R&R Advisory Council, about the business and about their team, and we'll have audience questions too. So Jamie, Charles, thanks for inviting me and Proco 360 to help you launch this great concept. Glad to be here. Jamie, why don't you, in fact, I'm gonna start with a stat because the statistic is this. Formerly incarcerated people who maintain employment for one year post-release have a 16% recidivism rate over three years as compared to 52% recidivism rate for those who did not maintain employment. So with that stat, how about sharing with us the concept of R&R? Yeah, so um, can I tell a little bit of the backstory? Go right for it. So uh, one of the first jobs I had was a manager at a recycling company. And um, when I was about 22 years old, I interviewed a guy named Angelo. And my wife was there and my dog was there and we all loved him. Uh, so the next day I call Angelo and say, hey, we want to hire you. You're great. And Angelo says, um, I get choked up when I talk about it. He says, hey, I just, I just want to uh, tell you something about myself. I murdered my best friend when I'm when I was 18 and I've been in prison for the last 30 years. That's pretty heavy, I've never heard that before. Um, but I said, Angelo, you know, we met you, we liked you, I trust you, you're on, man, we're hiring you. Um, so Angelo is to this day probably one of the best people I've ever hired. We're still friends, we still talk. Of course, he's excited about what we're doing. If I said, Angelo, I need you to come to Denver tomorrow, he would be here, right? So. That was my first piece of like, give someone that wants to work hard a chance and they will give you everything they've got, right? So that's really the spark going way back. Um, more recently, you know, this opportunity came to me through sort of a chance text and um, 
the opportunity to help people that really needed it, like for me to do more than what I did with Angelo and what Angelo did for me um, was super exciting. Uh, but I think as far as understanding how important it is to have that first job, that has only come through time through meeting people like Charles. Of course it's important, that's easy to understand, but the fine details of like how that keeps you on a good path is probably something Charles is better at speaking about. Yeah, and actually, I think we should, because Jamie and I have known each other for years in the context of business and all that kind of thing. But Charles, you and I just met, mm -hmm. and so I think, yeah, please share your story. Um, briefly, um, I would like to break it up. Pre-incarceration, incarceration and post-incarceration, I've been in and out of prison basically my whole life since I was like 12 years old. I'm originally from California. Um, I had a really good family, but just grew up under the worst of circumstances. And I was a barber young when I was young. I used to go around and draw and I used to cut people's hair at our house. You know, um, I used to even try to cut my brother's hair, but you know, his hair was too long, he didn't let me cut it. <laughs> but you know, um, I kept getting in trouble. I was one of these troubled youths out here. Everything you hear on TV, you see on TV, you hear in the rap musics, I lived that life between here and California and it caught up with me. And so I went to prison a few times. I've been to juvenile a few times, went to jail in California. And then the last time they gave me 64 years on a 24 year sentence. And I had, I've been out about two years now. And it's people like Jamie that's gave me a hand up, not a hand out. And I think that everybody in the hood, that's what we're looking for, is somebody just to believe in us. And when you have people that are riding your backs telling you're not worth the time, worth the effort, or the energy that they instill in us, it breaks you down when you're already broken down anyway based on the lifestyle and the poverty that you see. And so I changed my life in prison when I was in there. I started changing and doing different uh, programs. A lot of people in here right now I mentor while we were in prison. Um, when I got out two years ago, I started overseeing a few barbershops with the nonprofit Community Works who I work for. and. Jamie was introduced to me and he just popped up on the screen. Like I, I had a time that we were gonna be on a Zoom meeting. I'm thinking it's just gonna be me and him personally. And him and his whole team was on there. Hey, hi Charles. I was like, wow, they like me, <laughs> right? And so um, we were on there and I had a team, my team there who were overseeing these barber shops. And he said, I like the model that you guys have reaching back to the prison and bringing men out here, giving them opportunities. He said, I want to be able to do the same thing because it's time that he has his own thing yeah. because he's been wanting to do this, but the opportunity. Yeah. Like, Charles, you've been quoted as saying, these sentencing laws need to be changed. But they also need to find a way for opportunities for people who have changed. There needs to be a way to have a second chance. You have more thoughts about that? In short, when I was sitting in prison, I knew that I changed uh, some X amount of time in, and I kept just getting denied. I've been denied like 12 times, and I used to call my brother and used to tell him, man, I need to see you, I need to talk to you, I need to help get through this, and he was like, this thing's gonna change for you, it's gonna turn around. And I just, it was hard for me to believe it, then I had a friend who was there for me as well, she's seen it, and I, I got an opportunity that most people don't get. And then after doing the right thing in there, I went to these legislations and I fight for these legislations right now trying to change the sentencing laws because the time 
that I got didn't fit the crime that I did. Not to minimize what I did, because what I did, I feel was horrific. I take full responsibility and accountability for what I did. I did it, and I'm okay with that. But I feel that if we're living in America, we should be given a fair chance and a fair opportunity once we changed. And, and that's just how I feel. Dill, thank you. Now, I want to ask you another question, Charles. But before I even get to that, I had a question that I need your answer to first, which is, how would you describe a person who has success with a second chance? What does that look like? Um, it looks like these men that I've mentored. It looks like, who are you pointing at? Deb. It looks, yeah, I didn't get a chance to mentor Deb. I sure would have, because she's so awesome, right? It looks like Deb. It looks like James Kennedy. It looks like Brandon Moss. It looks like my boy, um, Adib back there, Keys, the men who was in prison. It looks like my guy, Tony, back there, his son. That's what success looks like. It looks like these beautiful people. So in your experience and in your estimation, what percentage of formerly incarcerated would you, would you think respond well to a second chance to become the success that you're becoming? That's a hard question. And the reason why it's a hard question, because as much as I feel that everybody is ready to get out of prison, they're not prepared to get out. And the thing is, is that we in prison fight to get out, but we don't necessarily prepare ourselves for our release. And so for me, I felt that it, the onus fell to me to be able to be there for these men and to be that example, because a lot of us haven't seen what success looks like. I don't know if I look like success. I don't, I don't feel like, like I'm successful, but I know that I'm doing what I've been called to do. Hmm. And so, yeah, that's it. What's your thinking about that? You know, as you consider employees, and I realize you're starting now, but as you have thought through this model and as you consider employees, how do you plan to evaluate those that are likely to be successful versus some that we know won't be? I'll, I'll tell you that I've been at this about two years. Um, the one thing I found, the most common thing about people that I know are on a good path is that they are trying to help the next person getting out. It, which blows my mind. I'm like, you just got out. You've been out two years. Like, you've been out one year. How do you even have time to worry about somebody else when you're still trying to get your housing nailed down? But everyone that we've hired uh, is trying to help the next person out. So to me, like, there's success in the first six months. That's incredible. As far as evaluating whether they're on a good path and they're ready to come work here, right? This is retail, right? We don't get a second chance as far as if we have a bad experience, somebody may never come back. They may tell someone it's really important. We get it right every time. So somebody has got to be in a good place. That's where I really rely on people like Charles on our advisory council. Uh, they'll tell you, you know, the hair stand up on the back of my neck. You're like, they, they have all these signals and tells that tell them how someone's doing that would go right over my head. Yeah, yeah. But that's sort of one of his major roles is to help us evaluate people and make sure they're ready. Uh, we have a guy in this room that got released from prison, was it 10 days ago? But how many days ago was it? I wasn't it? gonna out him, but- No, I, uh, I am. But how many days ago did you get out? Last Tuesday, Last Tuesday, right? We hired him on Wednesday because he's ready, because Charles has been working with him, yeah. Yeah, so-, so what made you make that decision so fast? Uh, Charles knows him, or, you know, has a history with him and can sort of vouch for him and say he's on a good path, he wants to do good things. 
And then I met with them with our shop manager and another barber. And again, I'm relying on them to tell me that he's in a good place. He's ready to go. And like, just couldn't be a nicer guy. Right, cool. to, right James? <laughs> hey, where's Gino? Hi. Where is he? He stepped out. All right. I was gonna. I was gonna. I was gonna say you did a pretty good job. If you if you think Gino cut my hair well uh, about two hours ago, you know, we'll we'll give him a shout out when he gets That's back. Right. Absolutely. So uh, yeah. Uh, where is he? Did he get back? All right. Was that the introduction? Base. Uh, yeah. No. There's twin Sorry. brothers hiding. We'll back get it back. Is that no? That's his that's brother. His twin yeah. brother, yeah. Uh, Jamie, based on your experience in other businesses, including your president of Floyd's Ninety Nine Barbershop, which was you know a chain of how many? One hundred and thirty. One hundred and thirty shops across the country, right? So you're looking at something different now. How different do you think the employees at R and R Head Labs are going to ultimately be as employees from what you've experienced in the past? It's funny that that's a question I get a lot. Like, oh, do you think this is going to be much harder to run? Do you, you know? I'm like. No, like I want to work somewhere where everybody accepts their faults. They know what to work on and they're working on it. And we've got support for them. You know, most of the places I work, especially Floyd's, because um, we attracted people that were sort of counterculture. Um, you know, people were coming to work with a lot of baggage that they weren't working on. The people we hired, sure, they have baggage, but they're working on it. They accept yeah. it. It's just totally different. Like I have no concerns that this will be harder to run. I think it's going to be an easier you uh, think so? Yeah. Task, yeah. I've been waving to Gino. Come here, Gino. <laughs> this is this is the guy who cut my hair. You know. There we go. Way to go, Gino. <laughs> I had a question for you. Just like you know, Charles told us about his experience coming out and uh, from prison and and taking his first job. And I was interested in having, see if you'd share yours and what it's been like for you to get ready to come on board here. Oh, uh, sure. Um, so I did. Uh, 14 and a half years on a, on a 30 year sentence. Um, I went to school when I was in prison. I obtained a couple of di diplomas and um, I thought I had all the tools to be successful upon release. Now, when I got out, life had hit me. I went through a couple of divorces and stuff and I've, I started going down the road of, of uh, destruction. So uh, short of, with, with that being said, <clears throat> I knew that I was gonna have to pull myself out of it before I went back to prison. And uh, the only way I could do that is um, is go get myself right because mental health is a big issue uh, mm -hmm. with drug addiction. And uh, so the first thing was for me to sober up, get right. And when I came through and uh, got sober, I seen uh, a post on Indeed about R&R &R Labs. And I was like, no way, this is too good to be true. Hey. So, you know, I was like, so this is right up my alley. So I applied. Uh, I think I was your guys' first hire, right? You're skipping the part. He was on the way to another job interview, and I, we told him to turn around. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I was. Uh, they were going to hire him. He's a great barber. Yeah, yeah. so uh, the guy, the guy, I was going in to get the job interview, and uh, Justine called me. He's like, hey, where are you at right now? I'm like, who's this? And she goes, this is Justine, R&R &R Head Labs. She's like, we want to hire you. I was like, well, I'm on my way to a job interview right now. And, and uh, she was like, no. Nah. She goes, uh, tell me you're not going. I'm going to see my claws into you right now. So that was, that was pretty cool. And uh, it's been about three months so far uh, that we've been waiting for this, uh, for this day, for this uh, barbershop to open. But um, we're here. And I'm so glad that I just made the choice to move forward, take the step forward, and, and clean up my life so I don't go back to prison. I did it for myself. I did it for my twin brother. And I did it for, you know, I want to be somebody in this community. And uh, 
I just want to uh, uh, thrive in this community and be of service to people and stop hurting people. Mm. So, yeah. All right, thanks. Thanks, Gino. Yeah, I had he come out here twice now, and it, we had great chats. And so, so thanks, thanks, Gino, hey, for coming on. Can so, I interject just real yeah, quick? Yeah, please jump in. So, I love that. That was really beautiful, brother. Uh, thank God for you. That's what this is about. That success. We're talking about when you have a person that sees the plight of a whole different culture and says, I want to give you an opportunity. And that's what we've been fighting for is opportunity to showcase whatever it is that we have, because there's so many talents and so many gifts inside of us in these communities, in these disenfranchised communities. So that is success. Well, thank you for that. And I want to I want to ask you both, Jamie, you were saying that, you know, managing a, this this shop with your employees is not more difficult. It's pretty wonderful. But there must be differences, at least things that people need to learn. People, you know, that, what, what would you say, both of you, would you say what needs to happen for uh, this employee group to come in and, and be effective teammates? So I'll start, and I'm sure you'll have more detail. But, you know, one of the things I learned early on um, is I've heard people tell stories. Oh, the first time I walked in Walmart, I lasted two minutes and I had to get out of there. Right. First time I went in Burger King, I, they handed me the cup cause they don't fill it anymore. Like they used to now go with the touchscreen. Like there's, there's things that are hard that are hard for me to understand. Um, but that's where like our shop manager, Deb is, she has been in prison a long time ago. She's been incredibly successful since then. This is her team. Like she will look out for them. They, they all know, right? They could get jobs as barbers just about anywhere because they're so talented. They come here because they get that support and understanding. Um, and that's, again, that's why we have people like Charles because there's things I can't see, I can't understand it, I can't feel it, and we need someone that can help them with that. Absolutely. Well, he stole my speech right there. I pre- <laughs> that was my paper. But uh, he, he's correct. Uh, at the end of the day, Deb's at the helm of uh, what's going on around here. And she understands the plight. And having that lived experience is exactly what you need to be able to run something like this effectively, right? And so what she's going to be able to do is rally the troops because they respect her. Yeah. So to, the, to the, your customers, I mean, I know you're new, but I mean, are your customers going to feel something different? Like, are you talking about all this about because of customers or because of the, you're just talking about the way you guys know each other? Sorry, as far as them feeling like this, the teamwork and, and the yeah, vibe? I yeah, I mean, do the customers notice, should they notice anything different? They said they, they have to. They definitely will. I mean, again, you're, you said, why did we hire James, you know, one day out of prison? It's because, like, it's just so damn inspiring to see someone working that hard to do good and that commitment to doing good. So that's what I love. Like, early on, that's one of the things I was most excited about this is I wanted people to have their version of my Angelo moment where you're like, wait, hang on. This guy, this woman is funny. They're intelligent. They um, are really talented and they've been in prison. Like I didn't think those things went together. Right. So I, it's just going to be a really cool experience that you just wouldn't get anywhere else. On top of that, you know, early on, are we going to tell people story? Are they going to know that our barbers um, have spent time in prison? Most of them. I said, well, yeah, they have to, because otherwise you're not changing that bias and that perception. They have to know that's in their background or this becomes kind of a normal 
a place where, okay, they seem to get along really well, but that's all I noticed, right? Yeah. You need to know that to know, okay, now I understand that being formally incarcerated does not define who you are. Does not mean that you're, you can't be smart, you can't be intelligent, you can't be funny, whatever. Yeah. You know, so. Charles, do you think, do you think a customer knowing your story is going to change their experience and expectations from you as their barber? They would once they engage with me. Because just a story alone is just a story, right? But the cool thing that James always says is we're trying to create a culture here. And that's a little different than just coming in and getting a haircut and going to the basketball game after, right? We're trying to really create something where there's some connectability, that people are respecting each other, people are treating each other well. We're being accountable. So when you create in that type of culture, it's very inclusive, right? Yes. And that's all we've been looking for. Well, you, Jamie, you've always talked about culture. And do you think, you know, in your past careers and all that, do you think the culture that you're creating or want to create here is going to be different, a different culture? Or do you think the same attributes of what you strive to create in other businesses, you know, it's, it's the same? Yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities as far as, and I can tell you, any barbershop you walk in, if everybody's getting along, you know it, right? They're kind of dancing, they're happy, they're trading tools, like they're chit-chatting you know when they're getting along, right? Whether it's formally incarcerated or not, whether it's our brand or another brand. When they're not getting along, you know the second you walk in, like, man, what, who died in here? Like, what is going on? You know when they're not getting along. Uh, and that's, again, that goes for any brand. Um, I think there's here, whether customers are centered or not, it's hard to say, but, but internally that culture of supporting and looking out for each other uh, is gonna be so much stronger than anywhere I've ever been, um, just because they need that. That's why they're signing up. Gino could go get a job at any barbershop just by showing him the pictures, but he held off on taking that job for three months so he could work here because that's what he wants to get out of it. So I, this is a, clearly a mission-driven business. You also, though, I mean, ultimately, you have to make money. You must have growth goals. So talk about that. Yeah, so... Um, we have growth goals, and the reason we have growth goals is because that means we can employ more people. That means we can get more clients in the chair and more people to have that experience and change that bias and perception of what it means to be formally incarcerated. So uh, what I knew would happen, it's already starting to happen, is as soon as we get this one almost open, you know, friends like, hey, can you bring this to San Francisco? What do you think about New York? I was talking to the CFO of the uh, Brooklyn Nets. Can you come here? Uh, so quickly, all these cool opportunities are coming up. But what we've said is we will only expand as quickly as we can transfer the culture to the next shop. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I mean, is this really scalable? Oh, yeah, it's, it's totally scalable, but, but only as fast as we can transfer that culture. So that means we envision having our assistant manager at one shop ideally become the manager at the next shop and bring that culture with them, right? If you just were to sort of hire a whole new um, group of people, uh, I worry that the culture doesn't transfer. So that, that will be the limiting factor to how fast we go. Um, but that's it. Yeah. The, the, the concept resonates. We get tremendous feedback when we explain to people what we're up to. What were you thinking, Charles? Can we just keep it real real quick? The reason why this is going to work is because he's a brillionaire, right? Because he knows how to handpick his personnel. And that's the problem. If we look at different organizations and if we look at other things that's going on in society, we can go back to the military, gang, all these different things. We're lacking leadership. 
right? And this man has stepped up and proven his leadership. He had an allegiance to another company. He told them, use me. They didn't use him. And he did what he was supposed to do and walked away and said, well, I will create something and I will give these other people opportunity to do what I couldn't do. So when you have that mentality, success is inevitable. Yeah. Well, I'm going to I'm going to ask for questions in a couple of minutes. So if any of you have them, this is a good time to kind of find your way up to the mic. But here's a question I'm curious about for Charles. I saw an interview with Jelly Roll and what an amazing story. And you're smiling. But when you see someone like that, someone with like a, this meteoric rise coming out of prison, like, what do you think? There's a whole bunch of people like that. They just need a chance. You think that's what you think? There's a whole bunch like that? In comparison to, when I say a whole bunch, not troves of them, but I am saying there are people that are in there that are willing to do the work. And one thing that he told me, because I had this uh, investment opportunity and I've been leaning on him um, to mentor me and stuff, and he dashed my dreams in a good way. Because what he said is, this may not be the opportunity that you're looking for. He said, because there's some footwork that you missed, some steps. And so I humbled myself to the process and I didn't take the thing. And he was sure right, I would have failed. Hmm. And so being able to have that, people don't understand how, how important that is to have something where someone believes in you. Were there concrete steps that you took to help Charles or to help others to engage in this afterlife? Um, as far as just helping him sort of in his current life and what he's doing now? It's oh, yeah, I mean, is there, well, not really a system, but is there, I mean, Charles, you, when I asked that question, you smiled, right? So are there certain things that people who've been incarcerated just have to know and have to get and have to understand and then have to accept? Yeah. Like what? Um, like, like these men that I, that I mentor, I mentor them in there, just knowing what they got to get, they got to know what the assignment is. And they got to be able to execute that. What's that mean? When you come out and you start a new job, like how do you, what's the assignment in your mind? That you got to be committed. You got to be willing to do what everybody else ain't willing to do. You got to come early. You got to leave late. You got to show up. It's the Mamba mentality, like Kobe would say, the Jordan effect. It's you you got to really have that. If you don't have that, you're going to be a goner because we're already playing behind the eight ball. We don't, I, you, you got to believe life is hard by itself, right? But there's a whole bunch of factors that I'm dealing with every day that makes it that much more complicated. Got it. And yeah. so what he has done and allowed his team to do is create a pathway. Thank you. All right, we've got a question. Yeah, uh, Ryan Hart. Uh, this is going to be a tough one for Jamie and the team. Mm -hmm. But uh, You talk a lot about creating this magical value and, and, and an incredible employee experience, a customer experience professional. I'd be keen to hear what would be the differentiated value proposition for the customer? So why would someone want to come here as opposed to going somewhere else? If there, I mean, there is the education piece, but what else is there? It's, it's funny. I never really thought of that before starting this, right? So take any other brand around, like, well, of course you come in here to get your haircut and because we're this brand, then your haircut's going to be good. Right? That's pretty weak. That's not much, right? So for us, you know, the reason we call it Head Labs is because every when we were talking to our branding agency, they say, every time you guys talk, you're talking about way more than a haircut. You're talking about taking care of the whole head, right? And so 
what I want customers to experience is to change biases, to meet someone that's working really hard to change their life. That's super inspirational. I just want them to have that, basically that same Angelo moment that I've had. And I'm, I know that will happen, right? I already, I know our team. I know it will happen if they just get a little chance to, to talk with them. And we've had a little bit of training on how do you tell your story? Um, because again, it is important that they know that they do have a past. They do have something they've overcome. Um, and just that, that sort of inspiration of sitting in their chair, it's way more than a haircut. Not to say they're not going to give you a great haircut, but that's not what you're going to walk out here and tell your friends about. You're going to walk out and be like, oh my gosh, that guy, Steven was incredible. I can't believe he ever has done anything wrong. He couldn't be yeah. any nicer. Right, Steven? Yeah, that's a setup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I think, uh, it's, it is not like to your point, Ryan, I, to, prior to this, I don't think it was ever very well defined in my mind. Now it's very well defined. It's that experience you have with the barber is going to be something for most people, something they've never experienced. Hey, Ryan, thanks for the question. I don't see anybody else up here yet. And I'm going to admit that before and in, in preparing for this interview, actually was quite nervous and anxious about this because, and, and this may relate to some of you who have a question, want to ask a question and are shy about asking a question. So like Charles, I was nervous because A, I can't relate to any of your experiences. And the other is that I'm, I was nervous because I didn't want to say anything offensive or that would make me look stupid. So what do you, I mean, if somebody really wants to ask you a question, like what would you say about that? I would say, ask me what you want. Then if, then if I think it's a little too much, I'm going to go over here and look at him and he's going <laughs> to, and if he goes, and I'll be like, well, could you rephrase that? Yeah. You know? So seriously. There must Somebody be come ask good, some good. questions. There come we on. go. Come on up, please. What particular skills have the barbers that have been barbering in the prison? How do what do, what, what do they bring to the table that's different than the average barber that's been trained outside? This I love this question. Uh, so this goes a little back to the founding story. So which is kind of cool. So. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I get this text, actually on Facebook Messenger, and it said, Hey, James, you don't know me. My name is Scott Budnick. I'm the producer of The Hangover, Old School War Dogs, etc. I need your help getting the guys in the California prison system licensed, excuse me, the barbers in the California prison system licensed. I'm like, I think this is real. Uh, so I'm on the phone with Scott later that day. Yes, he is the producer of all these movies, but more importantly, he's very active in uh, criminal justice reform, and he has uh, a nonprofit in California called the Anti-Recidivism Coalition. Uh, so I totally forgot your question, Dave, but it's going to come back to me. <laughs> I don't feel but, back. But it's a really good story, yeah. Well, it was my question. The question, where, where oh, you was forgot the... your question, too. Yes. It, it, it had to oh, do sorry. what... Oh, right. I remember, I remember. Thank you, Annie. Thank... All right. So when I was talking to Scott in the very first conversation, I said, Scott, there's... There's a lot more to this than just giving people chances, right? There's uh, a high level of loyalty. And when you have high level of loyalty, customers tend to be very loyal to their barbers. And so if you have low turnover, you, have, you don't lose many customers, easy business to run. You're not constantly trying to get new customers. But I said more important, and this problem that most national hair brands struggle with is that their barbers tend to learn in a white neighborhood or a black neighborhood, and that's what they know. And so they get into a barber shop, and especially in a predominantly white uh, city like Denver, it does happen where a black man walks in, 
There's nobody in the shop that's comfortable doing their hair. And the poor kid at the front desk, probably their first job ever, has to say, I'm sorry, sir, we don't do your type of hair. Just like, there's no good way to deliver that. That's just horrible. And it was never because we wanted it to be that way, but it doesn't matter. That's the end result. If you ask a barber that learned to cut hair in prison or in the military, hey, can you do all types of hair? What do you mean? Well, you know, like textured straight. They're like, you mean black guys and white guys? I'm like, yes, that's what I'm asking. Yeah. And, and they're like, who do you think I was in there with? Like, what, what kind of a, they think it's the dumbest question they've ever heard. But I'm like, well, you understand the way the schools work. And then they were, so the fact that whoever walks in the door, we got it to me is like, oh my gosh, we've just solved something that every major brand struggles with, struggles. And it, again, it's never on purpose, but it doesn't matter. The end result is that they can't do all types of hair. Wow, that's big. That's really big. And, and that story, I just told um, some of your cousins and stuff about that because that is really important. And to me, that's true diversity and true inclusion. And I keep repeating that word because I think it's important, especially when you feel all your life that you didn't belong. And that's one of the reasons why we joined gangs in the first place is because we didn't feel like we belonged where we were at. And so here, man, they squashing all that stuff. We have a reset button here. When the, some of the barbers are not feeling right, they're going through some stuff, we got a team, we got a system in which they can confide in and say, hey, what's going on? Yeah, that's cool. We don't have that nowhere else. That's true community. That's what this is. This is community. To people who have left jail, who haven't found a job, haven't found a path like this one, do they look at you and judge you positively or negatively? Ironically, this is an interesting question. I went to prison a long, long time ago before this sentence. And because I was black, because I had tattoos, because I was a former gangman, because I came out of incarceration, I never had a job. I went to McDonald's. I couldn't even get a job down the street from us when we lived off of Cove, like Ash, but it was on Glencoe. Couldn't get a job. It seems like now, and I'm saying this as humble as possible, People like me are a hot commodity now. We're a bus trader, and I'm, I'm saying this is humble. Like now, every door, like I'm in the Springs, I'm mentored by the mayor. He calls me, we, he mentors me. I have some really, I introduced him to a lot of the people when he came down to the shop that we built in, in the Springs. Now they see what's been missing, another part of our community. And now we're welcome again, welcome back to our community. Wow. Normally I would end on a statement like that. Normally I would, but we've got a question and I've got a couple of others, please. Uh, so this question is for Charles. So, uh, somebody listening to this podcast that just got out, or maybe as a family member of someone that just got out, what, what are the first steps? What, what do you do? Just got out. What do you do? If, if I heard about this, I would first of all, make sure that he had a place to sleep, make sure that he had housing after housing employment. You have to be gainfully employed while you're out here. If you have to make that living, once you get prepared for that, we will find out who your sponsors are, who got your back, who's going to help you when you're struggling, who can you talk to on those late nights when you're struggling and you want to go out there and hang out with the guys, when you want to go do drugs, when you want to do all the things that led you to prison in the first place, then uh, team you up with a mentor. 
I want to definitely team you up with a mentor. And I, I, I got this thing. I don't know if I did tell you, I did this thing in prison. And I feel that everyone in the world, so this applies to everyone, should have three things. Plus, minus, and equals. What does that mean? Plus, you have to have someone you look up to to walk you through it because they already been there. Minus, you got to be having somebody that you're pouring yourself into, that you're investing in. Equals a person that you can bump ideas off of. And I believe that that's a person will show success. And so there's some, some skills that we developed in here. I mean, in there and then coming out here, we've applied them and they've worked. Thank you. Were you going to add something? No? No. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, you know, I, everybody, my whole podcast is built around Colorado. And I just want to say I'm glad you're starting our head labs here. You really bet. pleased about that. Yep. Proud of it. Good. Uh, last question for you. Unless there's anybody else from the audience, you can make your way. I don't see it. So last question. Rabbit, rabbit. It's a superstition of luck. It's how you name the business. Talk about that. Yeah, so uh, Rabbit Rabbit was something that originally when we were trying to figure out our branding, uh, it was more at the forefront. It was going to be the name of the business. Um, and then sort of as we went along, we said, well, let's make it something you discover, right? So it doesn't have to be right in your face, but give people something to discover about the brand. It's kind of like learning about our custom shampoo machine. It's like learning about the background of our barbers. Like there's just so many more layers as you get into it, and then you're kind of in the know. And what I like about Rabbit Rabbit is it's about sort of luck and good fortune, right? It's a good vibe. It's what we want to feel when you're in here. And as I always say, like every success story has some luck in it. Everyone. And if they don't acknowledge it, they're not being honest with themselves. Everyone has some luck in their success story. Or the, we, we, some of us will say that's just spirituality. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's cool. All right. I think we'll wrap up on that note. I'm Dave Tabor. I'm host of ProCo360. You've been listening to my conversation with Jamie Repenning, CEO, and Charles Smith of R&R Head Labs, joined by a live audience here at R&R. You guys have been great. Listeners, glad you're here on Proco 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast. And if you haven't yet, it's a huge help. If you submit a review in your app, that goes for all of you in the room. Jamie and Charles, thanks again for inviting me to help you with this grand opening. Thanks to Karen, wherever she is, for all the coordinating. And uh, audience, thanks for being here one more time. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. That's the show, Live, Work, Love, Colorado. 